Psalm 25. If you would turn there, you're going to notice some similarities between that psalm and the song that Mark just led. Um, in fact, this is where that song was taken from. Didn't know that until this week. A lot of the songs we sing, especially a lot of the, I don't know what the, what they're called, the what are those songs? The, the newer, the last, I, guess, I don't know how long that one's been around for a while, but the praise songs or, or hymns, or they're not hymns, the praise songs, um, at least the ones written in the last 30 or 40 years, a lot of them are taken from the Psalms. You, you may have noticed that before. Um, they are you know, adaptations of the, of the different Psalms, so it's pretty neat. That one, we're just saying, is directly taken from Psalm 25. Now, before we get to Psalm 25, I want you to notice something. And I'm going to read just a bit from Psalm 1. You don't have to turn there. It'll be, uh, might be familiar to you. And by the way, I didn't say welcome. Let me join with Mark in welcoming all of you. I'm glad you're here. And if you're visiting with us, we, uh, we do welcome you and hope you're blessed by your time here tonight. If you have any questions about anything, please let me know or let one of us know. We'd love to talk to you. So here's what we're going to talk about. Walking with God is simple in one respect. The Bible often presents it in pretty simple terms. There's this theme that goes through the Bible. This, you know, you got you got two ways. I mean, you got two ways. Very simple. You got one way that leads to God, the righteous way, and you got one way that doesn't. It leads to destruction. Simple. I mean, that, that's all there is to it. You just got to follow the righteous way, the, the good path. I mean, Jesus uses that similar kind of language in Matthew 7. You know, the straight and narrow versus the broad and wide, the gate. One leads to life, one leads to destruction. So he, he puts it in these terms. It's just one of two. I mean, you only, have, you only have this choice to make between this path and this path. Sheep and the goats, you know, Matthew 25. The right or the left. Uh, the wise man, foolish man. You only have two, two options, and you take the, take the right one. You know, you see that a lot in the Bible. So... You, you have that kind of thing in, in Psalm 1. I'm going to Psalm 25 here in a second, but I, it's going to mean a whole lot more to you if you see this. And uh, So Psalm 1, very first, is, you know, the head of the Psalter, okay? This is the one they picked to start it all off, Psalm 1. Blessed is a man who walks not on the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree. Planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, its leaf doesn't wither, and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, that psalm, in, in a lot of ways, because they picked it to be at the front, it's, it's like the theme psalm of all of them. And, and so they, they chose this one to be here because it... it it puts it in beautiful terms, the choice that you got to make. you got the way of the righteous, and then you've got the way of the wicked. You need to pick the way of the righteous. So it's very simple. I I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's simple. These are, these are simple words, and it's a simple concept. The way of the righteous, the way of the wicked. That's the choice you got to make. So in, in Psalm 1, I mean, you finish reading that, and, you, and you're like, Maybe especially if you don't have a whole lot of experience in walking the path of the righteous, you may think, well, that's really easy. I'm just going to go with a person. I'm going to go with the first guy. You know, I'm going to go with the one who takes his delight in the law of the Lord. That's the one I'm going to be because I don't, I don't, I really don't want to be like the chaff. You know, I don't want to be blown away by the wind. I, 
I want to be with God. So it's pretty simple. So the reason I say that is, and this idea is not original with me, but I was reading, and a lot of students of the Psalms, the people who really, really take the Psalms seriously and spend a lot of their lives studying them, suggest that Psalm 25 is not a corrective. Corrective is not the right word because it's not correcting the Psalm, but it's, I guess maybe compliment would be the better word. It's a compliment to Psalm 1. Because what you've got in Psalm 1, you've got the presentation of the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked. You, you need to choose the right way. But in Psalm 25, you've, you've also got some of the same kind of language, but you've got the psalmist who's struggling. It's, it's almost like he's read Psalm 1, and he's walked on the path of the righteous for a little while, and he's, and he's starting to realize something. You know what? It's simple. It's very simple to understand which path you need to walk on. But you know what you figure out when you start walking on the path of the righteous? It's hard. It's really hard. And, and there are all sorts of obstacles and it gets tough and, and, and all this stuff happens. And, and so a, a lot of scholars of the Psalms suggest that Psalm 25, though it's not positioned right after Psalm 1, it is in some ways, it's, it's like this is, you need to understand what Psalm 1 says. You need to do that. But you also need to understand if you do that, Psalm 25 is going to happen to you probably going to happen to you. Psalm 25 is. And you're going to have an experience like Psalm 25. And so, with that in mind, okay, let's read Psalm 25. I know it's got 22 verses, but it's really not that long. And, and by the way, this is an acrostic, which obviously doesn't come through in English because it was written in Hebrew. 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. You got 22 verses, first letter of each corresponding to the letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Except for number 22, it's a bit of an anomaly. But it goes all the way up to almost to the end. So let's read it, okay? Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to, my, according to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast our steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait, in, I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O oh God, out of all his troubles. Okay. So what happens when you walk the path of the righteous? Well, it's not always easy. So what you got here in the psalm, Psalm 25, is you've got the 
This is called a psalm of lament. This is a psalm of, of, of crying out. This is a psalm of David. It, the superscript says it's from David. And it's a psalm of someone who's having a hard time. Some things are going on, and he's trying to walk the path of the righteous, and he's figuring out that when you do that, some difficult stuff happens to you. So if you want to relate to this, if you can relate to this, if you've tried to walk the path of the righteous, maybe you think, you know what? I'm guessing most of us have had this experience. Lord, if I'm following you, why do, why do you let it be so hard? I mean, if I'm doing it your way, then why all this stuff? I don't understand that. I don't, it seems like this ought to be an, a better path. It ought to be, it is a better path, but it ought to be immediately recognizable that this is better. You know, why? Have you ever had a conversation like that with the Lord? Why, why are you letting this happen? I don't understand. It ought to be easier. So maybe the psalm, psalmist is having a bit of those kinds of thoughts. I, I don't understand why God's letting this happen. And so I'm going I'm, I'm to cry out to him and I'm going to ask him about some of this. So it breaks down sort of. It, it doesn't break down in, neatly in paragraphs. Um, what I'm going to present to you is a kind of a thematic breakdown that you've got three ideas presented. And, and, and let's look at those. And we'll skip around so it certainly would be helpful if you had your Bible in front of you to look at. So... What happens here? First of all, he's, he's going to talk throughout the psalm about what he's going through. There are four things here. Four kind of experiences or struggles. I guess that'd be the better word. Four struggles that he's having. And you'll notice that they are sprinkled throughout the psalm. All right, so listen, listen to this. There are four of them. Four things that you're going to experience when you walk the path of the righteous. All right, number one, you're going to have some fear. You see this at least a couple of times. It's implied in other verses. But look at verse 2. Oh, my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. You know, I've sung that song we just sang right before. I don't know how many times. I remember singing that, you know, back when, when I was in the youth group in high school. That song's been around for a little while, I guess. And it's like a lot of things. You sing it a lot. You, words you say a lot, and you kind of don't even think about what they mean. And I found I was having that experience when I was reading the psalm this week and thinking about that song that, I've sung that song so many times that I don't really even think about what it's saying, but th those are words of, of almost like desperation. Um, David is crying out. This is a psalm of lament, and when I sing that song, I, don't, I guess I haven't really done a whole lot of lamenting when I was singing it. But what he's saying here is, man, I'm in a tough spot. I've I, I got these enemies. You see this a lot with David's psalms. i got these enemies, and they're killing me. I mean, they hate me. They're making it miserable for me. Lord, why? Why is this stuff happening? <coughs> so you've got fear here. Look at verse 19. He says, Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. I don't know who these foes are. We can't locate this psalm at a certain point in David's life, if indeed it was written by David. But you can certainly go back to lots of places in David's life and you can think about what we studied a few months ago in this Wednesday night class, the, the story of David running from Saul, he had a lot of times in that period of time where he could have written a psalm like this. Maybe it was from one of those. Maybe it was after David became king and he's dealing with a lot of people who try to make things hard for him. Or, or maybe it was written by somebody else who's just having a hard time. But maybe you can relate to this. Have you ever had people, or maybe they're, maybe they're not people, maybe it's, I don't think it has to be that. I think it can be something that's not personified and it's not it's not a person, it's a thing, it's an, an, an entity, something that's making it really hard for you. Maybe it's a temptation, maybe it's, I don't know, what, what would you call an enemy in your life? Something 
It's making it hard for you and you're afraid. You're afraid of the consequences. You're afraid of this path. You're afraid you're not going to be able to do it. You're afraid that they're going to make it so hard on you that you cannot keep this up. Whatever's going on in your life, I think we can probably, probably parallel it to David's here, that there are things that happen and we get afraid because of the enemies around us. So maybe you can relate to that in some way. The second thing is he's experiencing not only fear, but he's experiencing loneliness. Look at 16, verse 16. He says, turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. I was reading someone who suggested that this happens when you choose the path of the righteous. Sometimes you're going to feel like you're all alone because if you take it seriously, if you really take the call of discipleship seriously, it's going to, it's going to seem like you're all alone on this path because not many people do that. Aren't that many people who really take it seriously, who really, really understand that. And, and so maybe that's what's going on here. It's, I, I've chosen the path of the righteous, and, and man, he, so many people abandoned me when I did that. Paul experienced that. Paul was radically committed to Jesus Christ. And there were a couple of places in his writings where he said, I'm all alone, especially near the end of his life. He said, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all by myself. I don't, I don't have anybody. I'm, I'm, you know, all my companions are gone. I don't have anyone. So, so he's lonely. Um, maybe you've experienced that in your walk. I know our teenagers... Uh, most of them are gone over to Deerfoot tonight for the area-wide. If they were here, I'd say something like this to them. Your parents maybe, you know, say this to them at some point. But it would be, if you follow Christ uh, at school and in your community of, of peers, you're going to be all alone sometimes. You, it's, I don't think we need to sugarcoat it and act like it's, it's always going to be easy. It's not going to be easy at times. You're going to be all alone, and you're going to have to choose to, to do the right thing even when you're the only one doing it. That's what the psalmist is experiencing. I know it's easy for me to get up here and say, and it's not so easy when you're actually trying to practice it. And it doesn't stop when you go to college, and it doesn't stop when you get out of college. It doesn't stop when you enter the workforce and you start having a family. I mean, it's, this kind of commitment is going to, at times, it's going to involve you doing the right thing when you're all alone. And uh, that's what he's saying here. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid and I'm alone. So why is that true? Why are these things true if I'm walking on the right path? Why? So he's crying out. Third thing is guilt. <clears throat> he's, he's got some guilt here. Look at verse 7. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your, your goodness, O Lord. Remember not the sins of my youth. Now that's part of the song I have thought about. And usually when I sing it, I sing that one pretty honestly. I'm sure most of you can. Remember not the sins of my youth. When I've always sung that, read this, I thought back to my teenage years. Uh, probably not, not what he's talking about. That's not the way this word youth is usually used. It's usually used of someone who is a young adult. So, you know, biblically speaking, and the way this Hebrew word is used, it, it's not, they'd use a different word if they were talking about a teenager. So they're, they're talking about someone who's a young adult. But there's guilt here. That's the point of it. He's like, I'm walking on the path of the righteous, but why do I still have to worry about sins I committed a long time ago? And I guess the answer to that would be, you don't have to worry about them anymore. But recognizing you don't have to worry about them and not worrying about them, those are two different things sometimes. So he's dealing with some guilt here. I've, and maybe it doesn't, you don't have to go all the way back to youth for this. It could be something from last week or last year or a couple years ago. 
or, or, or some struggle you've had. You know, it could be a lot of different things, but he's dealing with guilt. He's walking on the path of the righteous, but he's afraid. Sometimes he's, a, he's alone, and then quite often he feels guilty, guilty that maybe he's not worthy to be on that path, guilty that some stuff he, he did a while back is, is still hanging around, that it might come back to bite him at some point. This guilt idea, look in verse 8. Uh, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. I think David's talking about himself there. Um, I don't think he's, especially in, in context, he says in verse 7, you know, remember not the sins of my youth. And then he says in the very next verse, God instructs sinners in the way. So he's reminding himself, oh yeah, I've, I've done this stuff, but God, God works with sinners and I'm one of them, he says. So he's got this guilt. Verse 11, same idea. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. It's great. Somebody who recognizes that what he's done is not insignificant. And all of us got to recognize that. We'll come back to that in a minute. Look down a few verses below. Verse 17. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Keeps coming back to the theme. You notice that? Guilt, five different times. It's either mentioned explicitly or it's implied that he's struggling with some guilt over things from the past and things that he had struggled with. So I'm walking on the path of the righteous and yet I'm afraid, I am lonely, and I feel guilty sometimes. And then number four, that results in, in this feeling of confusion. That's the fourth kind of experience he's having. This isn't stated explicitly really, but it's implied Look at, for example, verses 4 and 5. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you're the God of my salvation. For you I want, I wait all the day long. In this psalm, and, and by the way, the heading of the psalm in my Bible says, teach me your paths. You got something like that maybe? Teach me your paths. What this, if this psalm has a theme, it is, I want to know how to walk on this path. I, I want to know. Now, he's already walking on it. But I think because he's afraid and he's alone and he is guilty or he feels guilt that he's kind of gotten himself to a point where he's all confused about which way do I need to go. I thought when I, once I got on the path of the righteous, it would be easy. It would be easy to walk and it would be clear and the, you know, the border's clearly marked and I'd, I'd know when I was getting off to the left or to the right. And he said, I'm struggling. with. I don't, I don't know which way to go. So it's, there's confusion. You also see that in verses 8 through 12 where he I'll come back to that in a minute but he he basically says you know I, I want to walk the path but I want God to help me see what that what that path is we'll come back to that in a minute so if you're still with me and, and I hope you can relate to this I hope you recognize that that it does relate to your life to our lives have you ever felt afraid have you ever felt like you're the only one have you ever felt a sense of guilt have you ever been confused about which way God wants you to go? I think this applies quite often in areas the Bible doesn't specifically address. So we struggle with which, which job do we need to take? Um, where do we need to live? Which college do we need to go to? Which relationship to pursue? How to handle our children? I don't know. You can go on and on with that. Where the Bible doesn't say, okay, here's how you do it. And yet you struggle with that. How, what do I do, Lord? How do I know? Your word is, is clear on some things, but 
honestly, as far as daily choices, it's not very clear. It doesn't speak to all those daily choices, so how do I know which way to go? So there's confusion there. Do you see what he's struggling with? I think that's true. So you got Psalm 1, path of the righteous, path of the wicked. I'm walking on the path of the righteous. I thought it'd be easy. I thought it'd be clearly marked, and it's not always like that. I'm afraid. I'm alone. I'm guilt, I feel guilty, and I'm confused. All right, so that's, that's kind of where he is. So a psalm of lament, this is what he does. All right, so here's the second idea. first one is just talking about what he's facing. The second one is, is what he does in response to this. And, and this, is, this is how he handles it. He, he just, he, he prays, essentially. He, he just asks God to take care of this, take care of this issue, this deal. So you've got 22 verses in the psalm. You've got at least 18 different petitions, 18 different requests. Lord, I need this. I want that. I want to, I'm not going to look at all 18 of them or even half of them, but I want to look at a couple of them because I want you to see how he takes those things he's dealing with, the fear, and he takes it to the Lord. And so look at verse 20, please. Verse 20. So remember, he's afraid. He's got all these enemies. What does he do with this? Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. That's where he started in verse 2. You remember this? We sang about it. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. And then in verse 20, he says, Lord, guard my soul and deliver me. So what does he do with his fear? I know everybody in this room knows that you ought to do this, and everybody in this room has probably not done it at times. I'm afraid, so what do I do? I, I work it out. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to, I'm going to come up with a plan. I'm going to deal with my enemies. I'm, this obstacle I'm facing, I'm going to find my way over it, around it, whatever. I'm going to work this out myself. And only when we realize that we can't work it out ourselves, maybe then do we come to prayer. I don't know if you, you do that some, but the psalmist is showing us, how do, you, how do you deal with fear? You know, you're going through this. What do you do? He takes it to the Lord, and he says, Lord, I know you're the only one who can deal with this. You're the only one. I can't, I can't do it. So you guard my soul and deliver me and let me not be put to shame. I take my refuge in you. I, I realize I don't have anywhere else to go. So what does he do with his fear? He takes it to God. What does he do with his loneliness? Look at verse 7. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. I think there's a sense in which it's implied there that he asked God to turn to him. Remember me. Help me to know. This kind of reminds me of Elijah when he said, I'm, I'm all alone. And God said, you're, you're not all alone. And the psalmist says, I'm, I'm, I'm all alone. God, remember me. Stay with me. Be with me. And so when we're alone, what do we do with that loneliness? When we feel like, like Elijah, I'm the only one left in Israel who hasn't bowed the knee to Baal. Take, to, take it to the Lord. Take it to him and ask God to be with you and to remain with you. Number, number three, what does he do with his guilt? Look at verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Look down at verse 18. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. What do you need to do with your guilt? I know this is a simplistic way of saying this, but I think it's true, and I think we all struggle to do it. But what do you need to do with your guilt? Whatever penitence you need to do, do it. Um, if it's between you and God, ask God to forgive you and then 
ask God to help you forget about it. Or at least to move on beyond, beyond it. You don't forget about it in the sense that it doesn't continue to teach you, but you don't live in that guilt. If it's with somebody else, go to that person and ask for forgiveness. If you need to repent, repent. If you haven't repented yet, repent. But once you've repented, make whatever restitution you need to make, if there's restitution you can make, and go on. That seems to be what he says. Pardon my guilt. He's been carrying it around with him. Put it down at God's feet. Pardon my guilt, for it is great. God is a great God, and he can handle your great guilt. And forgive all my sins, he says in verse 18. You see that? So he's afraid. Lord, I've got to turn that over to you. I'm by myself, Lord. I need you to be with me. I've got this guilt, Lord. Please forgive me. So everything he's dealing with, he's taking it to God. The, the fourth thing is the confusion. And this will, this will take up, we'll spend, spend the rest of our time, just a few minutes talking about this. But his confusion is, what he, what he wants is, Lord, I need you to show me. I need you to show me where I need to go and what I need to do. So, for example, verses 4 and 5, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. So he's confused. His, loneliness, his, uh, his fear, his loneliness, and guilt have led him to a place of confusion. He's taken the first three and he's turned them over to the Lord. And with reference to confusion, he says, Lord, I need you to show me where you want me to go. So then that brings us to the last point if you're following along in the back of the bulletin, and that is how God does this, um, what, what the psalmist expects. And what he wants from God is he wants clarity. He wants God to show him. Now, I think what he's talking about primarily are those areas in our lives where we don't know where to go. Uh, he's not talking, for example, about, Lord, I want you to show me, I'm trying to think of a good example, you know, did Jesus, was Jesus resurrected? Well, the Bible tells that story several times, and it tells it in pretty consistent language. Yeah, yes, he was. He was resurrected. Jesus was resurrected. So he's not talking about, like, he wants God to reveal him to him some extra truth. He's wanting God to help him know how to navigate the difficulties of life. These ambiguous gray areas with marriage, with relationships, with work, with dealing with people, with enemies, with, you know, whatever, just the gray areas. I think that's what most of this is about. John Piper puts it like this. Is, this, is, this is how he believes God answers. He says, God guides his children through alertness to circumstances. Listen to this. I'll, I'll read it a couple of times because I don't think hearing it you'll, you'll get the full meaning. God guides his children through alertness to circumstances and through spiritual sensitivity to the present implications of God's character and purposes revealed in his word. Now, did you catch that? Basically what I think he's saying, I think this is right, is obviously all of us in here, if we're following Christ, we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe it, you know, it's sufficient and all those things we claim about Scripture. I believe those. But, but where does it tell you how to, how to raise your kids? I mean, it's got some principles in it, right? You know, bring up your children, the nurture and admonition of the Lord, don't provoke them to wrath. Where does it tell you about how to have the kind of marriage you want? How, how, where does the Bible tell you about how to choose a career and when to know when to leave one and pursue another one or which job to take or where to move to or which 
house to buy or where to rent. You know, wh wh where does the Bible deal with those? Well, it, it doesn't deal with them explicitly, but maybe it, it helps us in some way. So I think what Piper's saying here is that this psalm, the psalmist is crying out for guidance in those areas, those areas of ambiguity. And what, what Piper says about that is God doesn't reveal his will through the written word, but through his word in us and through the experiences of life, God helps us to be spiritually sensitive and to make decisions that are consistent with the will of God. And so we learn to walk with God and we learn to, to hear his voice, to sense his presence, to follow his guidance in these areas too. Does that make sense? You see what I'm saying here? Just these, these ambiguous areas. How do we know what to do? How do we know what the will of God is? Well, we turn it over to him and over time we learn to sense which way God wants us to go. I think that's what the psalmist is crying out here. I'm trying to walk the path of righteousness, but I need you to help me make the right decisions in these areas that are a little bit gray. So, how do we do that? There are a couple of things in this psalm that, um, where he, he addresses this. So, here's, here's what I'm getting at. and we'll, we'll finish on this note, but what kind of attitude do you and I need to have in order to get there? Because for me, and maybe you can relate to this, for me, that's, that's often my greatest struggle. It's not understanding, well... The Bible's hard to understand, you know, some places of it are hard to understand, but what God wants us to understand out of Scripture, I believe he made very clear, and we can understand it. I think it's a little bit harder to figure out how to make day-to-day -day kind of decisions that are consistent with the will of God when God hasn't spoken to that issue clearly. That's hard. That's harder. With Bible, you've got a text, you can spend time and effort, and, and, and I think you can, you can usually come to a reasonable conclusion about what God intended with a, with a text, you know. But how do you apply this to specific situations? At times, that's really hard. So what the psalmist indicates here is there are some different attitudes that help you get that clarity from God. So here they are. Uh, one is this. Look at, look at verses 4 and 5 again. We've said this already. But he says, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and, and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. This is, this wait, this, this is a neat idea in the Bible. I wait on you. What does it mean to wait? It means that we're dependent on God. It's a, it's a, a quest for holiness. I want, I want you, God, to, to show me this. We recognize we're not able within ourselves to do this on our own. We need some guidance from above. Look at verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. So you want to know how to seek clarity from God. It begins with this quest for holiness. And on this quest, you recognize that you are a sinner. God instructs sinners in the way. That's why Jesus, I believe, begins his Sermon on the Mount with these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit are those who recognize they're utterly dependent on God. And, and they depend on him for all sustenance whether physical or spiritual. I need God completely. I am helpless without God, right? And so that's where it starts. It's, it's this humble kind of position. I, I, put my, I throw myself down at the feet of God and say, Lord, I can't do this. I depend on you completely. So this, this means we recognize our sinfulness. Okay, look at verse 9. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. How do you seek clarity? How do you get clarity from God? 
it's, it's a posture of humility. This is, again, recognizing that we're sinners. We humbly seek the will of God, recognizing I am incapable on my own apart from you, Lord. I need you. So you want to get clarity about daily kind of decisions? Take them to God, but do so recognizing you without him are sinful and you are humble. You pour yourself, throw yourself at his feet. Look at verse 10. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. So you keep his covenant. You're faithful to the covenant. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense for you and me to want God to reveal his will to us in a specific area when I'm not being faithful to the areas that I do understand. So if I'm being disobedient to God, don't you think God might be a little bit opaque? He might be a little bit he might be a little bit unclear to me if I'm being disobedient. Disobedience obscures my vision and it keeps me from seeing what God wants, right? And so he says, part of the seeking the path of the righteous and, and having clarity is being obedient to the covenant, that which I do understand. So how do you find what the will of God is? Obey what you do understand. And God will then give you a little bit more light to understand, to see what you don't see. So obey what you do understand, and God will expand your understanding. So we, we keep the covenant. We keep his testimonies. Verse Look at verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Verse 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he answer, instruct in the way that he should choose. So the fourth one, we recognize we're sinners. We are humble. We keep the covenant, what we do understand, and then we fear the Lord. That's a pretty important phrase in the Old Testament. But fearing the Lord is, again, this is very much of a God-focused kind of posture. It's an outward focus. It's, it's not an inward thing. It is directed toward God. We seek God and we submit to him. And then the last one, we'll finish in verse 2. Oh my God, in you I trust. <clears throat> this is a interesting to me that... You know how once you start looking for something, you see it everywhere? It's like that exercise, I don't remember where I saw it a long time ago. Like you're in a room and somebody says, look, at, look for the color blue. And before you were thinking about the color blue, you would have said, there's not a whole lot of blue in this room. And then you start looking for it. I see these ladies retreat t-shirts and there's a lot of blue in here. I guess that's blue. I only know about four colors, and so that's close enough to blue. <laughs> um, but, but you start looking for a, for a color, and you see that color everywhere, you know? And so it's the same way for me. I started thinking a lot about trust this week, and I didn't plan Psalm 25 in conjunction with the sermon this morning. But once you start looking for something, it's interesting how you see it everywhere. And that's what this psalm ultimately is about. He starts with that idea, and, and it... It's embedded throughout the psalm. It's all over the Bible. But how do you get clarity on God, with God? How, how do you know what he wants? You got to trust him. You got to trust him. You got to trust him and you got to do what he wants you to do even when you don't understand it. You got to do what God says even when it's hard. You got you to follow him even to those places where maybe you don't want to go. And when you do that, you're going to find God's faithful to his covenant. He keeps his promises and he will open up new you know, vistas of beauty and understanding that you never even dreamed about. 
when you start trusting him. So in verse 2, kind of come full circle to where we started. I don't want your name to be shamed. I don't want to be shamed. I, I want you to be, Lord, I want you to be consistent with your promises, and I know you will be. And we come back to verse 2 where he says, in you I trust. And so you come to God and you say, Lord, I'm going to do it your way. This is very much of a submissive posture before God. So that's Psalm 25. Um, it's hard to be a Christian. It's hard to walk the path of the righteous. It's hard, to, um, it's hard to do what you know to do. Even when you know it, you know, intellectually, it's hard. But God comes around to Psalm 25 and he says, yeah, that's the experience of anybody who's ever walked the path of the righteous. These are things he deals with that you're going to deal with. Turn it over to God and God will bless you. If you're not a Christian tonight, we invite you to uh, confess your faith in the Lord, to put him on in baptism, to have all of your sins washed away by his blood. And what a beautiful thing that is uh, tonight. We would love to, to help you with your obedience. Maybe you need to come back to him. You've done things that haven't been right and you want to ask for your church family to uh, pray with you tonight. We'd love to do that as well. Let's stand and sing this song. I, uh...